Welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. This is the 492nd show of ROI. Our guest for today's show is Toby Payone, Uniserve Director for the Iowa State Education Association. We're going to be talking about the 2022 elections in Iowa. Joining us for the second segment of the show will be our history buffs, Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. So first of all, welcome back to the show, Toby. Hey, 492 did I hear? Yes. And, wow, and I great. think we're, you're up to like four or five now. So yeah, I love it. I you're, every you're a time. percentage of the population. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we start out with a segment called Farouk Dinarin, and our goal is really to just give some background. So I was hoping that you could give us some basic information on what you see as the major issues that are playing out in the 2022 elections. And and I heard Iowa, so I'll talk about Iowa, but we could talk national or whatever. Um, this is uh, – I call this the fear election, okay? And I, the reason I call it the fear election is if you listen to the ads and you listen to speeches from the various uh, politicians who are running for office, you know, this is now debate season, so uh, there's been a couple of debates recently. Both – Democrats and Republicans have emphasized fear. Uh, Republicans, the fear of inflation, the fear of immigrants, the fear of crime, okay? And Democrats, the fear of rights being taken away, you know, abortion rights or voting rights, the fear of vouchers uh, for private uh, private uh, schools um, taken away from public schools. And that is a good motivator, if you will, for the bases of the of the parties. You know, the staunch Democrats are going to vote because they fear those rights being taken away, or staunch Republicans are going to vote uh, their way because they fear immigrants or they fear um, the boogeyman of Joe Biden or whatever it may be. But there's not a lot of positives in this election. This has been a very fear-based election cycle. Um, even today, uh, what person both, well, it's nationally, is number one in on the headlines? Somebody who's not even in office. His name is Donald Trump, okay? Trump is still, and, and that persona of his, I think, still bleeds through everything we do in the United States with regards to politics, including here in the state of Iowa, um, so that's that's kind of how I, in a broad way, that's how I view this election cycle so far. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more specifically about Iowa. We have a gubernatorial, gubernatorial election going on. Um, we also have uh, Republican majorities in both houses. And uh, obviously Democrats would love to take at least one of those. Republicans would like to hold on to them. Um how are those races playing out within that context of sort of fear-mongering or whatever? Do you see things being basically status quo? Do you see a particular issue like abortion, um, which the governor is very uh, pro-life? And you know, do you see that changing what otherwise may have been a different result? 
I do. I think the abortion issue is an issue that the Republicans didn't want to have to run on, okay? Because Roe versus Wade, up you know, for the last fifty years, has allowed for for at least the Republican Party to sort of ignore the issue. Uh, they could say they are pro-life, but not have to worry about abortion being taken away. Democrats in this election, I think, um, because of the fear that uh, abortion rights are going to be curtailed, if not eliminated here in the state of of Iowa, um, are more, quote, energized to get to the polls uh, than Republicans who are playing more defense now on the on the abortion issue. There are other things that are going on too, and I and, and maybe the overplaying of various hands. Um, I think the Republicans have overplayed their hands on school vouchers, on demonizing teachers, demonizing public employees, um, which happened earlier this year, the, the sinister teacher call. Um, and where you're going to especially see that played out is in the suburbs of the larger cities, Davenport, Cedar Rapids, Des Moines particularly, where there are a lot more independent voters who just don't like that kind of rhetoric. They may have voted Republican in the past, but they are, they're independents and they swing um, both uh, on both sides. Okay. We also have um, a senatorial election mm-hmm. going on. Um, I'm just curious. I've only seen bits and pieces um, not being an Iowa native, being an, an Illinois uh, resident, um, I saw, for example, that in the most recent polls that I had seen, that Miller Meeks's lead, which was considered pretty good at, for a while after having had a yeah, as close an election in two years ago as you Six could votes. possibly have, <laughs> um, she'd had a fairly bigger, a fairly big lead. Now that's almost in the too close to call category. Um, are there other places? Are folks like Grassley, who is as close to an institution as you can get in in Iowa, are those races tightening up? Do you expect those races to be, or the governor's race? Do you expect those to be close now? Incumbency is always a powerful. Uh, circumstance. If you're an incumbent, you automatically have an advantage because you have name recognition and the, the institution behind you, you know, you've had um, the ability to use your office to, um, uh, to to promote your own candidacy, you know, for however long it may be. So I still think incumbency is going to uh, be important for people like Kim Reynolds, who's running for governor re-election, um, Chuck Grassley. But the I, I think Miller Meeks is in trouble, okay? Um, she only won by six votes in the last election. Redistricting was not necessarily friendly for her. Um, so the Democrats have the opportunity to have a pickup there. Same holds true with, um, I, I forget this specific number, but it's the Northeast Iowa uh, congressional district. Is that the second district um, where Ashley Hinson is running for re-election against uh, Liz Mathis, who both of them actually came out of the television world. Uh, they were both television reporters at one time. And I think uh, the abortion issue is going to play to that uh, situation. And that district is also um, a swing district like uh, the, the uh, Miller Meeks slash Christina Bohannon district in southeast Iowa. So uh, those two are going to be uh, interesting to watch. Um, Cindy Axney in the 
Des Moines area is the incumbent. She's the only uh, Democrat elected in Iowa um, on, a, on a federal level. But uh, she has a, a pretty good race against her uh, by uh, Zach Nunn. But uh, Axne is using her incumbency to her advantage. Um, and I, I think she's ultimately going to prevail. There was a really bitter uh, Republican primary um, in that race. So I think that's going to be some baggage that none has got to deal with going forward. All right. We have a lot more to talk about. So please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. Find out what song is airing on KALA now, or a song that recently aired. It's all at the KALA website. Find out the artist, song title, and album source. It's on the KALA website. Find out what's playing on 88.5 FM, 106.1 FM, and The Stinger now at KALAFM.org. That's KALAFM.org. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swartz. This is the second segment of our show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Toby Payon, Uniserv Director for the Iowa State Education Association, and we're talking about the 2022 elections in Iowa. Our history buffs for today's show are Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. Terry, why don't you start us off? Okay, thank you. Yeah, Toby, I, I was interested in, I read the Des Moines Register, uh, I think it was October 6, where they'd asked the candidates from Iowa uh, to, what their stance was on key issues. And I first want to say thank you to that because, uh, again, when you're talking about the fair election, so many of the ads today, as I think the time before last too, talked about not their policies or things that they were going to do for Iowa, but what the other person was going to do to us or something like that. So, and then I will say too on that, uh, Kim Reynolds did not even respond to the Des Moines Register. So that made me question why. But you mentioned a little bit about some of those key issues like inflation, abortion, education. Has anyone talking about clean energy, clean water, or infrastructure? <laughs> Not, you know, surprisingly, no. Um, I, what has been remarkable about this, again, the fear election uh, for 2022, are some of the things that are not being talked about. Um, you hear very little about climate change, which is a huge issue. Mm -hmm. um, you don't hear anything about the fact that we have virtually no unemployment. Uh, we're below 4%, which is typically the barometer that uh, economists use if, if your economy is uh, doing well. Uh, I kept thinking, uh, you know, my parents were Depression-era parents, and they were always wondering uh, of us kids, do you have a job? You know, they were really concerned about us being able to work. Um, well, now we have wages actually starting to increase, perhaps not as fast as we would like them to be increasing. But by and large, we have full employment. 
Do you hear anything like that on, uh, with regards to the economy? The answer is no. So there are a lot of issues that are on the forefront of people's minds that are not being talked about because I think, again, the two parties are just focusing on bringing out their base. Fear is a great motivator, and it gets those base voters out. It'll be interesting what they do in the closing weeks of the campaign if they start moving to some of the issues that independent voters are are more interested in. Ed, do you have a question? Yeah, I do, Jay. Um, Tony, one of the things that has really bothered me for a long time about politics, and you know, there's no shortage of things to have to be really disturbed <laughs> about there. But over time, I've noticed uh, whether it's uh, print media or electronic in some form is that the so-called news coverage of campaigns fails to provide basic factual background knowledge on which to make an informed decision. And the one that, I, that I'll throw out there is that the administrative costs of Social Security and Medicare are less than 3%. Now, in order to form an opinion about Social Security or Medicare, isn't it important that I know that? And do you see the same thing, or am I just kind of out here in my own little world? No, I don't think you're out in your own little world. Um, I, I think there's only a certain human capacity to um, accept and absorb any kind of media, whether it's television, radio, computer, social media, whatever it may be. And because of the 24-hour news cycle, because we now have, you know, a thousand channels, we have YouTube videos, ad nauseum, et cetera, that um, it's, it, we have so many choices that it's very difficult to get in depth. And what we do is we, everything is a mile wide and an inch thick versus having the ability to sit down and look at a PBS program, which is an hour long, that uh, it, it does go in depth. We, we're in a, that uh, short attention span theater uh, world that we now live in, um, and it's very difficult to get in-depth news and analysis um, of political candidates, the election, etc. Uh, instead, it's all surfacy. It's all ten-second ads, five-second ads, um, quick hits um, that are just trying to get you to do one quick little message, i.e., vote for this person or vote against this person. Very little in depth, which is, I think, indicative of how we process information in our society. And this cuts pretty hard against the notion of an informed and educated electorate. Well, it does. I still think you can get to it if you if you try. Hopefully the listeners of your program are people who are listening and thinking through some of the issues. But by and large, it uh, we now have such surfacy uh, depth of media uh, and information versus in-depth um, that it, it's hurting our ability to govern ourselves. Toby, I... Just because I happen to know, and you and you alluded to it earlier with the power of the incumbency, um, I'm thinking of Jed Ganser, who mm -hmm. is a complete novice who's running for a position. Um, how many of those kinds of <coughs> excuse me folks pop up during an election cycle within Iowa, and 
what are the odds of of uh, someone like that winning an election on their first try? Does it happen, or is it pretty much a, a wash? It's something you you kind of have to take several bites at the apple before you can get there. Most candidates have to not most, but a lot of candidates have to run more than once. Okay, he's running against an incumbent who's been in office for what four years uh, as a state senator. He's run, Jay is running or Jed's running for a state senator. So yes, it's an uphill climb for him. And he knows that. I mean, he, he recognizes that. Um, but you'd be surprised at how many people do throw their hat in the ring and lightning strikes, or they, they're able to run a good enough campaign to where they're able to win uh, their first time around. We talked about Cindy Axney, who is a congresswoman from the Des Moines area. She had never run for public office before. Uh, when she ran for Congress, uh, made it through the primary and eventually got elected to Congress in her first election cycle. Miller Meeks, uh, Marionette Miller Meeks, on the other hand, had run three times prior to uh, the 2020 election um, and lost and won her first race or last race by six votes out of how many tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands actually cast. So you've got the two polar opposites in that circumstance. Um, you know, you never know until you try. Uh, so if I, I would encourage anybody who wants to run for public office, try. Uh, you, you won't win if you don't put your name on the ballot, for sure. Yeah, Toby, can you talk about redistricting? There's been a lot of discussion about that around the country. How does redistricting work in Iowa? Iowa has a panel um, that makes a proposal or a series of proposals to the legislature. It's an independent panel. Um, it, it's balanced in terms of its partisanship. It's supposed to have equal numbers of Democrats and, and Republicans, and I believe independents as well. Um, and they uh, take the census every 10 years, um, the decennial census, and they look at population trends. Um, in Iowa, there are, uh, I believe, uh, 100 members of the House of Representatives, 50 members of the state Senate. Um, a House district is half the size of a state Senate district. And what they're uh, charged to do is think of it as drawing a big jigsaw puzzle or cutting up a big jigsaw puzzle based upon um, apportionment that is relatively equal amongst each um, each piece uh, with the same amount of population or relatively the same amount of population in each uh, in each district that those maps are then presented to the legislature to vote yay or nay and they can't they can't alter them they either have to vote them in in its, their entirety, or they vote them down in their entirety. And, and in Iowa this past year, um, the first round, which was supported by Democrats, not supported by Republicans, was turned down because the Republicans have the majority. The second um, batch of maps that were drawn by this independent uh, panel was ultimately accepted by the legislature. Um, that is a I don't want to say it's a non-political way of of drawing maps because I think there's always some political influence in one way or another, but it's less political than you have in states like Wisconsin or Ohio, which gerrymandering is 
part of the course in, in those two states. Ed. Yeah, um, I watched the Franken-Grassley uh, debate, um, if you will, uh, and I've read a number of written responses in printed media from candidates of both parties in response to various questions sent out to them. One of the questions that I don't hear or see being asked, uh, and this is another thing that really disturbs me, it seems to me that every candidate should be asked the simple yes or no answer to the question of whether or not you believe Donald Trump is the freely and fairly elected, I'm sorry, Joe Biden. God, edit that, Dave. Uh, edit that, Dave. Uh, um, but it's the simple question of whether or not you believe Joe Biden is the freely and fairly elected president of the United States, and I'm not seeing that. Can you comment on that? Well, uh, I mean, you're not, I know you're not responsible for that, right? but it no. seems to me a pretty basic thing. Well, and it, I encourage you to look at the North Scott Press, for example, uh, not this this week, but last week, uh, they, uh, the Norscott Press actually did a really good job of asking every state legislative candidate that specific question. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, w- when you mentioned Jed Ganser, who we know because um, he teaches at Davenport West High School and is a candidate for the state Senate, his opponent just kind of blew a gasket over it. Um, saying this is a setup and uh, this is not the kind of question you should be asking a person who's running for the state Senate. And I'm like, well, you know, all's fair in love and war. You should be able to ask any question that you want. But um, I think people, this is such a volatile issue. And again, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Trump is, he dominates the airwaves. He's still he's dominating the news today, uh, even though he's been out of office for for two years. His persona is going to be part of our lives f- for years, whether we like it or not. And I think because of that, especially for Republicans who may not necessarily like him personally, but they're afraid of the clout that he still has with base Republican voters. Um, Toby, you work for the Iowa Education Association, so it seems to me that we should have at least one question that deals specifically with education. So what kinds of issues are involved in um, Iowa politics dealing with education? Um, I think it's relatively fair to say that there's been an antagonistic um, relationship between teachers and the legislature over the last several years. Um, do you see this election cycle changing that in any way, making things better? Do you see movement happening on on Republican or Democratic sides to to reach more consensus, make more compromise? What what do you think the next uh, legislature is going to look like when it comes to education? Well, it all depends on what happens on November 8th uh, or November, whatever the election date is. It's yeah, 8th, uh, I think. 8th, yeah. Um, the, right now, there is a tremendous divide. Um, you know, the governor has been pushing for private school vouchers, which is a uh, big issue for, you know, her candidacy and her um, her perspective on things. 
Uh, the Democrats have been four square against vouchers. They say public dollars for public schools only. They shouldn't be used to pay for private education. There's a, there are a few Republicans who actually supported maintaining public dollars for public schools, and the governor uh, supported five Republicans in the primary earlier this year against those anti-voucher Republicans, and four out of the five were defeated for re-election. Um, so she holds plenty of clout within her own party on this. Um, I think time is going to tell. Um, the If the Democrats pick up and may, or at least maintain, maybe even pick up a few seats uh, against vouchers, um, uh, then you won't see vouchers in the state of Iowa. But the margins are extremely thin. Um, I think there's still a great deal of anxiety and, and angst um, over some of the comments that were made earlier this year about critical race theory and uh, sinister teachers, that teachers are have a sinister agenda with some of their curriculum or curricula. Um, those did not go over well with the people I work for and work with. Um, And I think that's going to carry over into November. Terry? Yeah, I'd like to piggyback on that. So do you think some of that is the reason we have a teacher shortage in Iowa? Well, we have a teacher shortage across the United States. So it's not just Iowa. Mm -hmm. Um, It clearly is the lack of funding, uh, difficult working conditions, uh, not so great pay, um, the curtailment of benefits, all of those things add up. It's not just a, a single variable or a single factor, but um, people are not encouraged to go into the teaching profession when they see uh, teachers being lambasted in the news media, as we talked about earlier, uh, or politicians on the floor of the House and Senate calling uh, teachers out for uh curriculum that they've never even heard of before, never taught, uh, or that somehow you're going to be going to jail because of advocacy for something that they may, that a politician may not agree with. So yeah, that it has, that all has uh, a, a trickle effect on young people who may want to go into teaching. Maybe they, they'll decide, hmm, no, I think I'm going to gonna do something else for a living. Ed. Yeah, along those lines, um, one of the things that was introduced by um, Senator Norlin Momsen um, in the legislative session last year was to put cameras in classrooms. Now, my wife's a teacher, and of course I find this outrageous, and she says, I'm not going to change anything, and if somebody wants to watch me grade papers, that's fine. Um, But... The legislature has declared open season, as we've talked about, on teachers. Um, and so do you see an end in sight for any of this? Well, we, again, we may find out on November 8th if, there, if some seats are turned around and uh, some, some cooler heads eventually prevail. I'm not sure if we're if, – if, even if the results of the election are more positive for public education and public employees. I I think this whole idea that it's an us versus them mentality is going to 
prevail for a while. Um, there is such a divide. There's a rural-urban divide in our country. There's a divide between Democrats and Republicans, between people of faith and people who don't prescribe to a faith. It is, it, it, and it almost seems as if those echo chambers just keep getting louder and louder within those echo chambers, and there's very little cross um, cross pollination, if you will, uh, if you were a science student, uh, there, there just doesn't seem to be those opportunities. A perfect example um, that is prevailing in this election, um, I read something this morning that Kim Reynolds is really not running against Deidre DeGier for governor. She's running against Joe Biden, okay? Um, she's using Biden as the, as the evil one out there. And I'm like, Fine, that's that. That may be your call. You may may have the right to do that. But Joe Biden is not on the ballot. He's not running for governor of Iowa. What are you going to do for the people of Iowa? Versus, well, I'm sticking my thumb at at the president of the United States for student loan forgiveness for you know this that or the for immigration uh, or lack of immigration reform, and and that divide permeates throughout our whole campaign and. And eventually through the political discourse that we have at the kitchen table and in our own neighborhoods. All right. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up. So please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes our 492nd show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme and was written and performed by Mark Zapsapital. My name is Jay Swords. We'd like to thank our guest, Toby Payone, Uniserve Director for the Iowa State Education Association. We've talked about the 2022 elections in Iowa. The history bus for today's show were Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotsa Pula Nala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. <laughs>